So Swamiji will be speaking this morning on a very interesting topic, God Laughs Twice. So, Maharaj, please. Om Asatoma Satkamaya Tamasoma Jyotirgamaya Mrityorma Amrutam Gamaya Aviravir Mayeti Rutrayate Dakshidam Mukham Tenamam Pahinityam May the Divine lead us from the unreal to the real, from darkness to light, from death to immortality. May the Divine Consciousness fill our hearts and protect us. The topic today is God Laughs uh, Twice. As many of you would have already guessed, this is inspired by uh, words of Sri Ramakrishna as they appear in his conversations. So let me read to you what Sri Ramakrishna said uh, in that book Kathamrita, translated into English as the Gospel of Ramakrishna. So these are Sri Ramakrishna's words. God laughs on two occasions. He laughs when the physician says to the patient's mother, don't be afraid, mother, I shall certainly cure your boy. God laughs saying to himself, I'm going to take his life, and this man says he will save it. The physician thinks that he is the master, forgetting that God is the master. God laughs again when two brothers divide their land with a string, saying to each other, this side is mine, and that side is yours. He laughs and says to himself, the whole universe belongs to me, but they say this, they own this portion or that portion. Can we know God through reasoning? Be his servant, surrender yourself to him, and then pray to him. So this is, these are Sri Ramakrishna's words. The first example about the physician's certainty, that deals with the future. And our misplaced belief that we can control it. And the second example about the brothers dividing their property deals, about, deals with the misplaced claims to ownership. So the two key terms here are control and ownership. So what I intend to do in the next few minutes is to reflect on these two things, control and ownership. First about control. How much control in our lives do we really have over people, over the events around us, or over the world in general? Since it's customary to, when we think about time, to divide time um, quite arbitrarily, I think, but nevertheless, it's a useful way of looking at it into past, present, and future. So how much control do we have? Looking at the past first. Uh, well, we have no control over things that have already happened. What's done is done. We cannot change the past. That's pretty obvious. What it is possible for us to change is our understanding of the past. But we cannot change the past itself. But even changing our understanding of the past is not so easy. 
In fact, there is resistance to any change in general, but but changing the way we think, changing the way we interpret, changing the way we understand is among among the more difficult things. That's why sometimes it is said that it is easy to learn new things, but very difficult to unlearn the old things. And so, and among the things that are very difficult to unlearn, not impossible, but difficult, uh, is the way we think. And what makes spiritual life challenging is not that we are not able to understand these new ways of understanding ourselves, the world, our purpose in life. Understanding a new way to think is, is not that difficult. But letting go of our older, earlier way of thinking, even if it doesn't make as much sense as this new way, that letting go is a bit more difficult. So that's about our control over the past. We cannot change whatever has happened. We can change our understanding of what happened. As for the present, uh, yes, we do have a limited control over people, events uh, in our life, depending on the position we hold um, in our family or in our workplace, a limited amount of change it is possible to do. Even then, even though we may be able to change a few things in the circles over which we, we have some position of authority, we really have no control over how others are going to respond to the changes that we make. We have no control over the result or the outcome of the changes that we make either. So when we change something in the present, we cannot always be too sure of how the final outcome will be. So while we seem to have some control over the, in the present, it's a very, very limited control. And about the future, of course, again, obviously, we absolutely have no control because we don't know what the future is going to be. Um, Sri Ramakrishna's example that we saw earlier deals about this control, about the physician, very quite an absurd assurance that I will, I will make this person all right. Because again, who knows? Um, there was a sign in one, one physician's office that I treat, God cures. I think if, if doctors looked at it this way, probably it might be a little bit more helpful. That the curing itself, what is possible for a physician to do is to treat the patients. But to cure or not is really not in their control. So what it boils down to is this, that we have no control over the past and the future, and we have very limited control, such limited control over the present that God laughs um, when we fool ourselves into imagining that we can control the world around us. The only thing we can control is our own selves, our actions and our reactions. That is where we have our full control. So the freedom that we all speak about, and in nowadays, freedom, like a few other buzzwords, has, has become a current thing. We say we, are, we live in a free society. 
we have and yes it's no doubt that in some respects we are more free than people in other parts of the world and yet we are not really as free as we think <laughs> sometimes even when we have freedom uh, we don't want it okay let me put it this way we like the idea of being free but freedom itself is not something that we really want although that's something that we consciously don't think about it that way there was this old book some of you may have read eric fromm's that was titled escape from freedom uh, the reason is this <clears throat> freedom involves responsibility freedom includes the freedom to fail and if i make the choice and if i if i have the freedom to make a choice and i do something stupid i have no one to blame <clears throat> and that's problematic because all sometimes we can understand little children <clears throat> anything that happened they say oh they just always blame it on someone but sometimes even when we grow up even when we are adults um some of these childish tendencies remain in us so no matter what happens in our lives we always want to say is because of this is because of this person is because of the government is because of blah 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 um <clears throat> now that tendency to always blame someone else for whatever it is that we are not happy with in our own life um shows that we don't want to be free because this hallmark of freedom is responsibility freedom involves that no matter what happens in my life good or bad i am responsible for it i have contributed to it in some way and therefore this freedom that we have the only freedom that we really have is over our own selves hence the emphasis in vedanta over self restraint you'll find in many different ways whether it's in in patanjali's yoga system or in, or in vedanta and and many spiritual traditions which have been inspired from the vedantic philosophy the emphasis on on self restraint shama dama the control of the mind the control of the senses the idea is i cannot i do not have control over things outside but i have control over how i can understand them how i can respond to it how i can face it but this practice of self restraint as many of us many of us as spiritual seekers would have realized is not that easy either again because self restraint would involve trying to control some of the habits that we have acquired habits of thinking habits of doing um but luckily these habits are our second nature not the first nature so we can change it if we want and devotees believe that this kind of change becomes easier through through god's grace so those who are able to succeed in this practice of self restraint are able to transcend their limitations and ultimately go beyond the clutches of maya clutches of some kind of um, a power that seems to keep us away from realizing our true potential now 
self-restraint does not mean, shouldn't be understood to mean to, to hold back all the time. Self-restraint, I'm using the word self-restraint in, in the sense of knowing when to let go and when to lean in and have the courage to do what is right at every moment of our life. Because sometimes restraint seems to make us think that we must always hold back. I'm using the term in the sense that not just go through our lives through just the our ambition driving us or the expectations of other people. Not just kind of... Sometimes people like to say just flow with the current. Um, doesn't work. Uh, un unless you're sure where the current is going. So that's why it's necessary. I mean, if the current is in the direction you want to go, well, let go. But if it is not, I need the capacity then to hold back and to navigate my boat in the right direction. So that's about control. Again, to summarize briefly, if we try to look at how much control we have in our life, if we don't look at it so, uh, analyze it this way, we might be under delusion that I have a lot of things under my control. But if you kind of break it up into segments with past, present, and future, we suddenly realize, no, I don't have much control over things that are happening around me. The only one thing that I can control is myself. My understanding, my response, my, my way of dealing with the challenges in my life. So that is the first message that comes to us through these words of Ramakrishna to reflect deeply on the role of control in our life, how much control we have, and so on. The second thing, the second keyword I said is about ownership. Now, Sri Ramakrishna's second example makes us ask these kind of questions. What do we really own? Remember, the example was about two brothers dividing a portion of land, saying, this is mine, that is yours. And we can step back from that example and then ask ourselves, um, we have the sense of property. This is what I own. This is what I have. So it's good to, to, to reflect over that a little bit and ask, what is it that I truly own? What is really mine? We know that we come into this world with nothing and we leave this world with nothing. Everything that we see, everything that we see as mine, people, property, things, is there with us only until we die. Sometimes it's, it's amazing how things accumulate in our lives. I remember when I, when I joined the order, I was, I was only 19 years old. Early in the morning when everyone was asleep, I just ran away and, and joined the ashram. I went almost running all through the distance. Um, and I, I didn't carry anything with me. There was nothing, just the clothes that I was wearing. Um, and then, after about four years, when all of us, after the period of probationship is over, we have to go to the monastic training center at Belurmat. So after four years, when it was time for me to go to Belurmat, I joined the center in Bombay. Um, I was flabbergasted to see the the, the luggage that I required. 
so two big bags and those, my books were sent separately. And I thought just four years earlier, I had come to the monastery with nothing, with just the clothes I was wearing. And I, I, it, it, it was quite a revelation. I, almost, I went and told the, the Swamiji who was in charge there that time. I said, when I came here, I had nothing and now I have so many things. Then he pacified me saying, well, what are the things you have? Mainly clothes and books. He says, for monks to have books, don't think it's anything bad. <laughs> so I said, well, that, I felt a little bit relieved after, after hearing that. But, but that's how. If this can happen to someone who just goes, leaves everything with nothing and lives in a monastery. Uh, and unbeknownst to myself. So I can imagine for, for everyone, things just accumulate. And nowadays it's so easy to order online. Amazon. And so you don't even have to go take the trouble to go out to the shop and buy anything. So things start accumulating. Which is why then your basement or your garage pretty much looks same no matter where you go. All of these things that we acquire, all of these things that we see as ours, um, they, they will be with us only it, until it's time to die. When we die, everything is left behind. There is this um, quote in, in Manusprati, uh, where Manu says that no matter how close people may be to us, no matter how dear things may be with us, the most that anyone can accompany us is up to the cremation ground or the burial ground. The journey beyond that has to be done by ourselves. There is a Sanskrit verse which goes like this. Eka eva suruddharmo nidhane pi anuyati ha sharirena samam nasham sarvam anyati gachati which means the only friend who accompanies us, accompanies people even after death is dharma. And dharma here includes meaning karma, the 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 duties that we perform and the results that they accrue. So the only friend who follows people even after death is dharma. Again, I, I mention this because sometimes dharma itself gets translated as religion. But here dharma is meant in the sense of karma. For everything else is lost at the same time when the body perishes. So this is something important to remember. That we don't own anything. What to speak of, about owning anything? We don't even own this body because the body is also left behind. Sometimes we, when we speak about ego, it is said that the, it, it's possible to think of ego in terms of a primary ego and secondary ego. Uh, the primary ego manifests as I. Everything that I see as I, and that usually includes our body-mind, oftentimes we see it as me. And the secondary manifestation of the ego is in a sense of everything I see as mine. So the things that belong to me. And that's why this, Sri Ramakrishna's words we often read saying, I and mine, that is maya, that is bondage. Because 
this sense of I is itself a creation. It's, it's our own, uh, well, it's our own creation. Anyway. I and mind both, both, uh, both bind us. If we compare between I and mind, it's a little bit easier to let go of the mind than to let go of the I. If, if the two are ever pitted against each other. Um, years ago, maybe 15 or 20 years ago, I guess, uh, there was, a, there was a, um, a newspaper report about some shark sightings uh, near the Florida coast. And um, one of the things I think, I don't know if it's still going on, but they had these uh, tourists being taken uh, to taken down and they were feeding feeding uh, live this thing and so that attracted a lot of sharks and the fishermen uh, they had to face all the dangers in fact one young man he was 22 or 23 he became uh, the target of a shark attack and and he he lost his leg he didn't lose his life but he lost one of his legs and then uh, a few days later when the television crew, as they often do, went to interview this young man in the hospital with his one leg gone. And they were asking him, um, so what do you feel and so on. I happened to see that, that clip that was shown. And what struck me was this young man who had had a few days to recover by then and to kind of look at that event a little bit more calmly. Um, so he said, I feel I'm lucky. You're lucky you lost a leg. Well, it was only my leg, not me. Now, losing a leg is not no, no small thing. But if I have to choose between losing my leg and losing my life, I say, well, take away the leg. Take the leg away. It's a little bit like, let's say, if you, if you, if you get say, a new iPhone or something, and you're just from the Apple store, you're returning home, uh, it's getting a little dark, it's a lonely road, and there is suddenly someone comes and sticks a gun and says, your phone or your life? <laughs> I don't think we are going to think like, oh, no, no I can't give my phone. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's an obvious thing. We'll say, well, no, no matter how much I love my phone, it's still my phone as opposed to me. So if I have to choose between the two, it's much easier to let go of the mine than with me. So oftentimes in, in spiritual life we are told, oh, this ego is a big hurdle and give up the ego. It's not so easy to give up the ego. Sri Ramakrishna says in one moment this I goes, again it seems to sprout, sprout up very quickly. So one intermediate step, which, which is a little bit easy, I mean it's tough, but it's easier than just letting go of the ego, is try to convert my, as many of the things which are my primary ego into secondary ego, that is everything that I see as I, to try to see it as mine. Now, obviously, uh, the things that you own, your car, your home, are already your mind. But what about the body, the mind? So every time I try, try to think about this as me, can I think of this as mine, my body, my mind? Now, we do. Oftentimes we do use these phrases. We do say, my mind and so on. But most of the time we don't. So when, when we feel, oh, I'm happy, or I'm thrilled, or I'm miserable, 
I'm really not thinking of mind as mine. I'm thinking of mind as me. Because these are all characteristics of the mind. Or when we become um, conscious about, about the attributes of the body. We say, I am this or I am that or I am old. No, I can't be old. It's the body that is old. So again, this is not something that you need to necessarily speak out aloud when speaking with friends because your language usage might, might seem quaint to them. Uh, you can just speak in a normal way. But, but in my heart, the more I try to remember that my body and mind are as much my possessions as my computer and my car are, the easier it will be to learn some of the basics of spiritual life. Because oftentimes, this also has another advantage. And that is, because we talk about the Atman and the spirit so often, there is a tendency in some people to kind of ignore the health of the body and mind. Well, this is just material body and mind. And let me think about God and spirit. True, that's really good. But we don't have to. We don't, it's not necessary. In fact, it's not advisable to ignore the body and mind because the body and mind are the instruments, the only instruments we have to practice our spiritual life. When, we take, when you take a good care of your car or your computer or your home, you know you are not your car. You know you are not your computer. But you know your car is useful. Your computer is useful. It gets things done. So just as we are able to take care of our car and computer and such other things, knowing that they are not me, but that they are useful, I can take care of my body and mind, knowing that they are not me, but they are useful. And so it is possible for spiritual seekers, for Vedanta students, to take good care of their body and mind without identifying themselves with them. So coming back to ownership. So what do we really own? We find that even what we think we own now is not always fully un under our control. Now parents of especially teenagers know it well. When your children are very small, it's easy to think of them, my baby, my child. When they become teenagers, then you begin to wonder whether you really own them. Um, now, those who invest in, in volatile markets know this also. You might say, oh, I own so many, so many shares, or I own this. Again, you may own them, uh, but your control over them is quite limited, actually. We have no control over earthquakes, over volcano eruptions, snowstorms, tsunamis, hurricanes, mudslides, as we had recently in Southern California. Now, all of which, all of these things can potentially destroy, damage a lot of things that we see as our own, and we have no control over them. Again, as I said before, we have control over how to understand if these things do occur in our lives and we uh, create some damage or destruction, uh, I have some control, potentially at least, of how to understand what has happened. But I cannot really stop these natural forces from occurring. Hence the question that is asked in the Isha Upanishad, 
there is this in the very first verse kasya svidhanam to whom does wealth belong and the answer is to no one all that we can say that everything that we have in life everything that we see as my own is really um, given to us on lease and nothing is permanently ours and that is why often times many spiritual teachers advise to look at all our possessions as something granted given to us by god for safe keeping that it doesn't belong to me everything belongs to god i am a servant of god and god says okay keep this with you for some time it think about it this way um if your neighbor has a pet um and the neighbor says well i'm going away for about 6 months can you take care of my dog and you you are a good neighbor and you say yeah sure and so you keep that neighbor's dog with you and of course as, as dogs and cats and many of you pet owners will realize it they have a way of endearing themselves to people and so this your neighbor's dog stays with you and you develop you get attached to it and after 6 months when the neighbor comes you you are hesitant well you would normally reluctantly you would have to give the dog back in fact some of you may remember i don't even know whether that library still exists but i think oh maybe 30 or 40 years ago i i really don't remember exactly in calcutta um they started a pet library i think birla birla had started a pet library i don't know if it's still there it's amazing concept the idea was and they had this cats dog even snakes and and parrots and bunch of animals and the idea was to encourage uh, the yo- younger generation to love animals and so just like you go and uh, become a member of a library and get books and then return them you could go become a member of this pet library choose whichever pet you wanted and take that pet home for a month and along with the pet then they gave a, a handout about how to take care of the pet what uh, you know with the food and diet and exercise and uh, instructions about how to take care of the pet now often times very little children they came and borrowed these pets for a month but within a month they got so attached to it that well they could renew them i think two or three times <laughs> but some of them got so attached to it they didn't want to return it and the library had had in fact i think they had a scheme that way that if anyone got so attached they didn't want to return it they allowed the child to keep it again the whole purpose was to encourage them to uh, i don't know what the status of that pet library is right now because it was quite some years ago some of you can can try to google it and find out what happened to it but but the the idea is that we get attached to these things so going back to that neighbor story so when the neighbor comes and i have to return that pet after 6 months uh, i will feel a little reluctance but i will know that that pet was not mine to begin with and so i'll have to part with it but what is mine to begin with really not just that pet everything that so that's the devotee's attitude that everything that i see as mine my home my family my children my grandchildren 
everything that you see as mine is given to us by God for safekeeping. And whenever God takes, wants these things back, we have to give what is God's back to God. Now this way of thinking helps us deal with both. Things will come to us from the world and things will be taken away from us. And by things, I don't just mean just material things. It means people and things. And as we grow older, we all have to get used to this coming and going. Things coming, things going. People entering our lives and people leaving, leaving our lives. Some of these things seem to happen um, rather effortlessly. Uh, as we grow older, we see how many of the teachers, and maybe many of the teachers when we were in kindergarten or something are probably no longer there, but many of our childhood friends. Now some of us, in olden days, because travel wasn't so common, except for traders and sailors, pretty much most people grew up in the area uh, they were born, and pretty much most people died there. So it was much easier to have a community, a, 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 a circle of friends who pretty much remained friends all through lives, their lives. But times have changed because of jet travel and, and, and for various other reasons. We do travel a lot more. We do move from one place to another a lot more than people of earlier generations did. And so it's not as common now to have your childhood friends with you all through life. So we naturally, we lose contact with many of them. We, thankfully, we acquire new friends and so on. So just like those acquiring of new friends and losing of people that we knew in our life seems to happen, except in few cases, if you know someone very closely, then, then, then maybe it makes a little difference. Um, but these things are already happening in our lives. But some of the other things where we kind of acquire a sense of ownership, it is helpful to remember that we own nothing and we own nobody. In fact, in fact, and I think this is helpful, one of the differences, major differences, between attachment and love is really the sense of ownership. Attachment and love outwardly seem very similar, um, but they are, they, they are very different. And, and, the, and the, the effect they produce, the results that occur as a result are very different. Love can produce only joy. Love is a love comes comes through a sense of freedom. Love can produce only joy and bliss. The pain and sorrow and, and all some of the negativities that can occur in life, jealousy and so on, that is due to attachment. And so when we relate ourselves to other people through love, then that will produce everything that is wonderful in life. Now, most relationships that occur in life are a mixture, are a mixture of both love and an attachment. 
So the joy that we get in a relationship is because of love. Some of the painful experiences we have in a relationship is because of attachment. And what distinguishes the two, among the many things that distinguish the two, is the sense of ownership. If I'm attached to something or someone, I begin to see that something or someone as something that belongs to me. It's mine. And that sense of ownership is really a problem. In love, there is no sense of ownership. So love comes through freedom, of cherishing one's own freedom and respecting the freedom of everyone. So I think that is a very important point to remember. So hence this question that gets asked in the Upanishad. And Isha Upanishad is one of the oldest of Upanishads, where kasya svidhanam, to whom does anything belong? And the answer, as I said, is to no one. If we truly love God, we will see that everything belongs to God. And if we see that everything belongs to God, it will be easier for us to love everyone and everything. Because we know that when we truly love someone, whatever is connected with that someone automatically becomes dear to us. It's a strange thing, again, I don't want to get very autobiographical, but one of the things that I remember is that when I was a teenager, I didn't have any, just like anyone growing up in India, of course I knew about Ramayana and the Mahabharata, I wasn't particularly attracted to Rama, but I loved Swamiji. So I started reading Swamiji's books when I was very young, and then when I read for the first time that Rama was Swamiji's Ishta, that Ramakrishna initiated Swamiji into Rama mantra. And because Swamiji liked Rama, then I started liking Rama also. (laughs) This is a small example. But what I mean to show is, if you truly love someone, everything that is connected with that person, suddenly you start liking it. And if we truly love God, and if we see that this whole world and everyone and everything in it belongs to God, how much easier it will become to love everyone. Holy Mother says, learn to look at the whole world as your own. How will it become my own? Because it belongs to God and God is my own. And therefore, no one can be truly a stranger. The Ishopanishad, the same Upanishad that I referred to before, uh, it really begins by this statement, Isha Vasya Midam Sarvam Yatkincha Jagatyam Jagat. And literally translated, what it means is, uh, cover, cover everything, Isha Vasyam, cover everything with the divine, cover everything with God. Now, you can't really take it literally. Because taking it literally is problematic. In the sense that, well, there are these things and I should cover it with God. But that's not what Vedanta says. What this statement really means is really uncover everything. Because because the world is, because God is covered, the world appears, it appears before us. When I uncover the world, I will see nothing but God. So some of, some of you may have heard this um, story that is sometimes told that um, if you take the the 
the idea of genesis for us when god created the world out of nothing and the idea is when god created light and mountains and all all of those things came up and then finally god created a human being and god was very pleased with um, her creation god said oh this is great and god was so pleased when the first human being was created and out of the joy god said let me give a gift the first gift to this human being to this beautiful creation that i have i have brought forth and then god wanted to give the best gift a unique gift a gift that no one will be able to surpass in any way and god said well, what would be the most the unsurpass unsurpassable unsurpassing what would be the unique gift that i can give and very god being modest god thought well well who could be more unique than me and so god said let me give myself as a gift to this human being and just as when you when you give a gift you wrap it up in a beautiful paper uh, uh, and so god wrapped up himself and gave it as a gift to human being now when you give a gift to someone and you have a very good uh, wrapping paper over it and you want that person to just open it and see what's in it but what if that person is so entranced by that wrapper itself and begins to admire oh this is such exquisite packing <laughs> there are some people because nowadays uh, these um, modern products and especially apple products etc they come with such excellent boxes and wrapper many people have preserved all those boxes so it's like this so and god had wrapped it up so well so people began just admiring that wrapper so much after some time they forgot even to open what's inside and what we are admiring this world and everything is really just the wrapper if we just open it a little bit just scratch it a little bit we will see that there is nothing but god inside and in order for us to do that we need to look deeply that is what we spoke about yesterday in the retreat discernment viveka viveka means looking deeply not taking things at face value that not not <coughs> acquiring <coughs> acquiring a kind of a, a a mental x-ray if you like the ability to look deeply and see what is beneath it and so it's not so much the covering the world with god but uncovering the world and discovering god beneath it <clears throat> so to summarize let us all try to live in such a way that god will not have to laugh at us and you know sometimes you see uh, when children do stupid things and parents or the elders would just stand and laugh and just shake their head and say oh here they go again and i think god is probably doing it all the time <laughs> <coughs> so it's helpful for us to know what our limitations are and how absurd the notion of ownership is from a larger perspective when we live knowing that it is god alone who controls everything and it is to god alone that everyone and everything belongs then god will not laugh 
God will smile. The smile of a proud parent, happy that her child has finally realized the truth. So that's our homework going forward. Not make God laugh, but make God smile proudly at us. And when we see God, when we experience God in whichever form, in whichever way we think of God, when we have that experience of God smiling at us proudly, just as a mother would to a, before her baby, that is freedom. That is fulfillment. And what else do we want other than seeing that God is happy with who we are and how we are living our lives? Om Jananim Saratam Devim Ramakrishnam Jagatgurum Padapadme Tayo Shritva Pranamami Mohur Mohur